growing up in the television world and marketing and, and media and advertising and all those different things, you know, basically, we spent the vast majority of our life trying to convince you that your life was not complete unless you bought our stuff. And that's basically the essence of all marketing. I mean, there are exceptions, but out of the five to 10,000 brand impressions we get a day, they're basically telling you that your life isn't complete without this pen or this perfume or this house or this car or this whatever it is. And so the idea of relationship marketing for me made me ask the question, not only why am I doing what I'm doing, but within my life, what are the missions I need to accomplish? And who do I have the privilege not just to get to buy from me, but to serve? Good morning. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Abrams, and this is a podcast where grounded and honest meet tactical and effective in all things messaging, marketing, and content. Today, I have a conversation with Bill Dolan. Like all my guests, he's got a deep background in marketing and messaging, specifically in the world of television. But his life took a turn. In fact, he died. His heart went to a full stop. And what happened then was he came to a realization, and that realization helped him to design the philosophy that he expresses in his book, 7DRM, The Seven Disciplines of Relationship Marketing. I hope you'll walk away with a bunch of tools for your toolbox that will make you more effective in conveying your messages and generating the results you're looking for. But as always, doing it in a way that's thoughtful about how you serve your customer. His marketing process, Relationship Marketing, promises to make organizations better and more profitable. And listen, I get uncomfortable when somebody comes to me and tells me that the word love is critical to their marketing strategy. But if I already knew what he was going to say, if I already agreed with it, there'd be nothing new to learn. Keep an open mind when you listen to this conversation. What Bill brings to the table will help you sell better. It will also change the way you think about how you organize your messages. One quick piece of housekeeping. I'd like to hear from you, and I always want to know what you're thinking. I'm hoping we can develop more of a two-way conversation. So let me know what you think about relationship marketing, about the word love as a guy in your marketing. So welcome to Grounded Content. And Bill, I'm really grateful that you have agreed to talk with me today. My guest today is Bill Dolan, and he's the founder and the visionary behind Spirit Media. He's also got a book about relationship marketing, which I think is going to be really interesting to dig into. But I'm going to start by saying, I think we met in a clubhouse room. And, you know, it's funny, there's a lot of BS in there, but it's also an opportunity to kind of identify pretty quickly whether somebody knows what they're talking about and has some depth to them because, you know, you hear them thinking on their feet and reacting in a really natural way. And so you and I met there, we got on a phone call. I think we felt like we had some interesting things in common to talk with and we scheduled this interview. So first of all, just welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like we're definitely a part of the global creative family and I think that's where we connected. So yeah, we're family actually. So it's great to have, to have a chat with uh, my family member. Yeah. So I'm going to jump right in. I think we'll back out later and we'll talk about some of the sort of more human stuff, although it's part of all of it. But tell me about 
what relationship marketing is. You bet. Well, relationship marketing really goes back to my death experience. It's not something that's completely new, but it was something that became forefront in my mind after a death experience. I had a profound after-death experience, but the real profound part came after. It was the waves of awareness that came after it. And one of the things that you realize in this world is that no matter what your belief system is, I think most of us would agree that one of the most precious things we have in this world are relationships. Now, some people would say, oh, it's love. You know, we could put it on pillows and walls. And I would agree. The highest value of our agency in my own life is love. But love is a noun until it becomes a verb in action. And it only becomes in action in relationship. So it's all tied together. Now, growing up in the television world and marketing and, and media and advertising and all those different things, you know, basically, we spent the vast majority of our life trying to convince you that your life was not complete unless you bought our stuff. And that's basically the essence of all marketing. I mean, there are exceptions, but out of the five to 10,000 brand impressions we get a day, they're basically telling you that your life isn't complete without this pen or this perfume or this house or this car or this whatever it is. And so the idea of relationship marketing for me made me ask the question, not only why am I doing what I'm doing, but within my life, what are the missions I need to accomplish? And who do I have the privilege not just to get to buy from me, but to serve? And so serving, the really only way you can serve people is to know them. Everything else is basically an assumption. And we can get avatars and we can do things. But relationship marketing, when you synthesize everything I said down, is knowing someone well enough, one to lean in and get to know them. And not to think how I can get you to just buy stuff from me and ring my own bell. But how can I ring your bell? How can I serve you? How can I make your life better? How can I contribute to the well-being of your existence? And that's where relationships really matter, when we bring and contribute good things and not just sell stuff. So bringing it to the example, you held up the pen and said, you know, in the past, what we did was we convinced you that your life would not be complete unless you had that pen. So how would you apply this new and different idea, this way of thinking, if you were selling a pen? Well, pretty simple. First, I'd have to decide, one, is the pen worth selling? Number one, I call that brand integrity. And brand integrity basically means, and I love the word integrity, by the way, it actually comes from the word that we get the same word integer. In other words, it's a whole number. So integrity is the act of being able to look at it at all angles, and there's consistency and harmony with function and message and value. And so lesson number one, start with brand integrity. Do you have something that's worthy to be shared and brings value to somebody's life? The second is knowing my audience so well that I know this would bring value to your life. Now, if I know for certain I know you so well, Let's say you and I are talking and you're saying, you know, I have all this paper, but darn it, I just stare at it every day and my <laughs> thoughts go fleeting. And I want a way to capture my thoughts in the sea of paper that I live in. And I go, Marion, 
hold on. I think I know what would be valuable for you because we've talked and I know that what I have is not only a great pen, but now you've introduced a genuine need, a want, a desire, something that I can help you overcome a fear. I can help you realize a transformation or some type of outcome that you've been desiring. Now, I can confidently go to bed at night knowing that I have shared this valuable gift with my friend because I care about you and I honor you, and I love you, and I respect you. And you can say, yes, it still sells. Well, if sales at its heart in relationship marketing isn't about pitching something for your benefit, it's a matchmaking service. I like that matchmaking service part because I was getting stuck on all of this rings so true. And when something's right, you you sort of know that it rings true. But I imagine myself as a business owner And, you know, maybe we're going with the pen story, right? I love to write. I developed a pen that was just the perfect pen. And now I have 10,000 of these beautiful pens that I love and I have faith in, and they are the pen that everyone should have. How do I make that step? I mean, you've talked about the matchmaking. How do I find and get to know those people on scale? Well, it's hard on scale. The first thing is I recognize all of us are not going to be able to connect at an intimate level with everybody. It's one of the differences between sometimes a psychological encounter and a sociological encounter. You know, we can psychologically get to know somebody at a very deep level. Sociologically, though, we can get to know a large number of people on a thinner layer where we can gather attributes or maybe some assumptions based upon data. Now, The classic way, of course, in marketing is twofold. One is, let me take you to lunch and get to know you, or take you to coffee, or go golfing, or whatever people do. That is one way to do it. And it's it's still a very effective way, because great relationships, you lean into them. It's like what we're facing right now with, you know, people struggling around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we say, oh, you know, we need to do this, do this. Well, ultimately, to do any of that, You need to lean in. And when you genuinely care and treat somebody with humanity and love and respect, that not only can change a culture, but it's also a great way to form business relationships. So you start with that and understand that while all of us are unique and different, a lot of us do have shared needs. And so one of the things I do in my book, because there's seven disciplines that we apply, one of them has to do with knowing your market. And I use my formula, which is not significantly different from others, but I like it because I remember it and it really works, is what I call the 10-digit human address. For example, you know, most of us here in North America, we have zip codes and the zip code helps you hone down from this, 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 this to this. Well, the 10-digit human address does the same thing because it starts off, I ask people to look at people you're already serving. That's a great fit. And use them as a framework. Call them your platinum relationship. And then ask this question. And I use the win-off formula first, the first six digits. What are their wants? What are their interests? What are their needs? What are their objections? What are their fears? What are their frustrations? The six great questions that you can ask of that platinum relationship that you have that you can now turn into a persona or an avatar. 
Next is ask questions about how do they buy things. This is the plus four part of the zip code? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the zip plus yeah, four. Yeah. yeah, so now we're in seven. How do they buy things? You know, what is their journey? You know, when I was a little kid, I remember how we bought things. We either watched things on TV, so we watched advertising, heard it on the radio, saw a billboard, or we looked it up in the yellow pages. I need a plumber. Boom, I'd look at there. And everybody had AAA something because they wanted to be at the front. <laughs> front no. of the phone book, yes, of course. But you have to ask the question, what's their buying behavior? What's the path in which they like to buy? Do they talk to friends? And then the next question is, what are their media influences? What are the pieces that feed into them that are helping trigger that search? Or maybe it is something they validate in the search. Or maybe it's an exclamation point to give them peace of mind to make the step. So knowing that their media influences are friends. The other has to do with their psychographics. Just to understand, there's some people... Like, for example, you know, and this is a broad generalization, but it, it's pretty effective here. If I were working with accountants, for example, accountants by nature are detail-oriented people. So I know that if I had a pen and I go into account and I just say, hey, trust me, it writes, it's a buck. That's not going to do it. Most accountants are want to know, well, how much ink is in the pen? Is it blue or black? And when I sign, is it the right blue? Because I want to do legal documents. I want it to be blue rather than black. So it can't be used as a copier for fraud because that's a big deal in accounting. They're going to ask me questions that are detailed. So I can't just go, buck for a pen, it works. However, there's others that just love the idea of what the pen can do because they're all about the outcome. And I might say, on the other side of this pen is your magnum opus. On the other side of this pen is an opportunity for you to impact the world and touch lives with the richness of language that's been buried in your heart that now can come to life. See, I would go for that. But then I would get the pen and I would look at it and I would, and I would wait for the magnum opus to come. You know, and, and that's just to recognize the framework through people come. So when you understand those things, and then the journey, understanding the demographics. This is great. And I'm giving you a hard time about the pen. Well, it's okay. It's a, it's a great one to come back to. I know. I think it's great that now this entire episode is going to be about this pen that you started out as an example. But so you got into the psychographics and you gave, I think, really useful example with you know how the accountant sees things versus how somebody like me, for example, might see things. Because I think that's one of the things that is important is many of the so-called experts are telling us that there's a way to do things, you know, and the answer is almost always it depends. Well, the thing is tragic. I don't consider myself a sales guy, but as a business owner, I've had to take accounting classes and take marketing classes and blah, blah, blah classes. And I did take a sales class and I remember going to a sales class and they actually used the example of the pen. And as a part of the drill, they would have everybody go around and say, sell me your pen. And the thing that I observed over and over again is that most of the sales process was about talking at people. And relationships are about asking questions and hearing people. And so by honoring that process, you don't just go to the pitch. You listen. And like I said, if it's brand integrity, I want to know because 
I care about you and I respect you and I want to honor you. I don't want to put something in your hands that is not going to bring the outcomes and transformation you're looking for. Because that, by the way, is just the difference between pitching and selfish persuasion and the idea of sharing and adding value to somebody's life. It's another way of how I explain relationship marketing. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I think most people would agree that this style of marketing is sort of on a level of absolutes, a better way to interact with the world. Is it more effective? That's a tough question. And let me tell you why. Depends on how you measure effectiveness. If it's all about numbers, there is a way, and I know this from the days that I worked in advertising, that if you measure success by how many transactions you can make, sell away, because you can sell a lot more if all you want is a transaction. And I know in the classic, we used to do a lot of infomercials, and it was always the triple. You know, here's the deal, and by the way, if you buy now, here's a better deal, but wait, there's more, and you give them the triple. So basically, you walk away feeling both a sense of, oh my gosh, I'd be an idiot not to buy this crochet set that makes rubber bunnies. You know, I mean, I never thought about buying one, but now that you share it with me, I realize that it's such a great deal, I can't walk away. We all know that they're like crochet sets for rubber bunnies sitting in the top of somebody's closet that they bought off of an infomercial that is just a piece of garbage. Or, yeah, I was going to say even worse than sitting in the top of the closet, filling the landfill and, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Or it becomes, you know, a white elephant gift, you know. <laughs> in the best case, in the best case scenario, it's a white yeah. elephant gift. So to answer your question, if transaction is your goal, we can in very many dishonest and self-serving ways, we can sell more volume of anything with a transaction because it's a low bar. But if you want transformation, which I really believe is the heart of effective marketing because it cares about delivering outcomes and transformation, I'm going to guess that, even though I have no hard statistics, that your sales volume goes down. but where you trade off sales volume, you've turned every client, every engagement into an army of raving ambassadors. Yeah. And I would guess that your customer lifetime value would probably go up if you're willing to wait it out. I mean, this is my theory, right? My theory is that these things that some businesses can sort of disregard as, you know, well, that would be great if I didn't have bills to pay and if I didn't have a staff to employ and, you know, that would be great, but I really need to make money. But I think that when you look holistically, for example, in this case, if you look at your customer lifetime value, you know, you sell one pen with the pitch, but if you sell that pen the way you're talking about, not only have you created a raving fan who's going to tell their friends, but that person is going to come back to you the next time they need a writing problem solved. Exactly. And I can think of an example of that right now with a company that I've used for lighting support. I mean, we have a studio where we shoot virtual events and product shots and things like that. I'm in the studio now. And so we're always looking at different type of lighting sources that we might take in the field, or we might advise our clients to use if they're setting up home studios. And this company 
they've delivered a very good product at a reasonable price. And they had a situation where they messed up an order for me. And I wrote to him, I said, wait, I ordered this, 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 this. And the manager of the company got back to me and said, I am really sorry about that. I want to make that up to you. I'm going to talk to the shipping department. We're going to fix that problem. And then when I got the package, they sent me a little something extra, nothing big, but just a little something extra. And I wrote him back. I said, do you realize you sent this? He goes, look, we messed up. That's not what we want to do. And that's not how we want to treat you. So you're valued. Please take this as a gift and a way of apologizing for our error. Well, guess what I'm doing? I'm buying more stuff from them. And not only are they selling me lights, you know, aka the pen, they're expanding into other product lines. And as they expand to other product lines, I think you've now become a preferred vendor to me. Right. And it's not about the lights. It's about the way that they do business, really. So they could sell you anything. Yeah. So let me jump back because you were getting into some of these steps and I love the 10 digit zip code. I think that's brilliant. What are some of the other pillars of this process? Well, the first pillar, and to be completely honest, it's the hardest pillar. The first pillar, I call it the pillar of mission. But in my book and in my workshops, or when I'm working with clients, what I help them do is establish what I call is a mission manifesto, which is made up of five key items. Number one, purpose. Why am I here? Why is my company here? But in the seven disciplines, I'll let you know that we can apply this to every project we do. Like even right now, my project manager is working with a brand new client, and guess what they're doing? They're doing a seven disciplines intake to make sure we get the project right. So the question that my project manager is asking is, why are we doing this? Why? Let's understand the why. The second part of the mission manifesto is then, what are the missions, and I say missions with a plural, that we need to accomplish to fulfill that purpose. And it's a little bit more like, think about a military mission. They'll say, I want to free the people or do something, you know. Well, when you do that, there's usually multiple missions that you need to accomplish to fulfill that purpose. And that's how we treat that in the seven disciplines, is look at your life, look at your business, look at your project from the perspective of why you want to do it. And of course, Simon Sinek became famous for asking the question, why? Start with why. But then dig into those missions because those missions become action items that you can now prioritize, put into seasons, if you will, to say, how will I do this? Next, and it doesn't have to be definitely in this order, but a critical piece of this is vision. Like when I was intaking a new client yesterday, one of the questions we ask about vision is we don't say, tell us your vision. Yeah, I was going to say, I hear this phrase, you know, it's hard to kind of parse out what's purpose, what's mission. So what is vision? How would you define that in this case? Well, vision, if you're like me, when you're a little kid, you probably put together puzzles and the vision is the cover of the puzzle box. It's like knowing where you're going, kind of. Remember the word vision comes from the visual cortex. In other words, it's something you can see. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's something you see in your mind. And especially if you're leading both yourself and or teams, it's something that is so crystal clear that you can describe it in a level of detail that you take people there. They can see it. Now, that still seems ethereal. So when I'm working with a new client, I'll ask them the question, 
what will it take for you to be cheering up and down, high-fiving, and wanting to name your children after me? And I press them to think, what has happened? And it is not only just, what does it look like? I want to know how they all feel. And part of that also is digging into the audience and saying, what do you want them to know? What do you want them to do? And what do you want them to feel? So I do it with a lot of probing questions to get this out. But just like a great puzzle box, the thing that's so critical about vision is that it allows you to pull the pieces together that are going to fit in your puzzle. And especially in a marketing world that we are already bombarded with people saying, oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do this. Oh, make sure you do this. Or if you're not doing this, you're not doing it right. Whatever. People are throwing puzzle pieces into our life every day. And if you don't have clear vision, what happens is we end up accumulating a lot of puzzle pieces that really don't belong in our puzzle. And we're more consumed with distraction rather than direction. But that vision becomes like a North Star that you see, ah, and you see also the pieces that that's a corner piece. That's an edge. That's a framework. This piece will fill in the details. So the more you get closer to clarifying that vision, and we know that great accomplishments usually are accompanied with focus, it frees you with the ability to say, this is my puzzle. This is where we're going. And when you have a team and you describe it to them, this is where we're going. And people can come and say, you should do this. The freedom to lovingly say, that's a great idea, but it doesn't belong in this puzzle at this time. Let's set that aside for the next season. So I love this because I interviewed Jeffrey Madoff and he was talking about brand. And he said, basically, the brand is your compass. He's saying the same thing, that the brand isn't something you stick on afterwards. The brand is this essential thing that gives you the freedom to say yes or no to all the opportunities that come up. And that's really what you're saying with vision, right? It's a key piece of this. It's a centerpiece of it because it is that North Star. But basically, the vehicle and how you get there is led by the next element of the mission manifesto, and that's your values. We have a sheet, and we actually have it available on the 7drm.com website. So people who read the book can pull down resources for free and just use them. And it's something we use in our agency. It's just a sheet of adjectives and adverbs, about two pages or so, single-spaced in four columns. And what we do is we ask our clients to go through those and say, what 10 or even 20 best describes your values and how you want to be perceived, the things that you hold highest value for? And they start going through it. And as they go through, they'll say, narrow it down to 10. And then once they do that, I want you to narrow it down to five. Now, if I'm like Kenneth Blanchard, one of great leadership authors, he encourages people to narrow it down to three. But we use that as a framework for us in the media business because it not only will shape our creative direction, our styling, color schemes, our score, our music, our tone, our pace, all those ways that we interpret a person's brand as it's expressed dynamically. But what we're really hearing is their brand soul. What is really important to them? And it's great when you do it in a group, especially, you know, the leadership of an organization, and you give everyone the sheet and you make them do it by themselves, and then you bring it together. And then you realize how much they're in harmony 
or how much disharmony exists in an organization. And now it becomes a group exercise to say, well, what are the most important? And I'll lay it out and I'll say, look, you've got three of these things that are unanimous and you've got a whole bunch of scattered things out here. Let's talk about why that is. And it's a way to really process what's really important to them. And it'll be a, a book that I'll actually write based upon this mission manifesto called Discovering Your Brand Soul. And it's part of the work that I do in, in just pushing people to know themselves so that just like I talked about brand integrity with that pen, it's about brand integrity with you and your organization. And then the last, the fifth element of it is goals. Because most of those missions ultimately turn into goals, but they usually have timelines and they're prioritized. And a great goal, smart goal, I call them, you know, smart goals are specific, measurable, not achievable or aspirational, (laughs) relevant and time sensitive. You now apply those missions into a ways that says, what do I need to do when? Who's going to do it? And what are the steps we need to do to accomplish it? And now you've created an action plan for yourself. And when you do that mission manifesto, I literally, not that long ago, did a workshop. I do a two-day workshop sometimes for a client, just take their organization through it. And the leader has got tears in their eyes because the clarity that comes through it, it's like life-changing. And all those distractions peel away when you know why, what you need to do to accomplish it. And you've got a plan of action to execute. It's life-changing. Now, do any of your clients reject this? Do they say, look, Bill, I just want to get some great media. I want to hire your services. Like, why do I have to do all this baloney? Oh, yeah, of course. The thing about a mission manifesto, and we don't force a full mission manifesto. Look, if a client, for example, the client that we met with yesterday it's a nonprofit event. It's a live concert event. It's to raise money for a great organization that's doing wonderful things in our community. We've worked with them before. So we'll do a project-based 7DRM. We know them. They all have established stuff. If they want transformation, you have to endure the process. And the biggest objection I get at first is impatience. Can't we just get to it? And I talked earlier about the idea of who those target markets, knowing their demographics, their psychographics, and a driver that's like, okay, let's get it done. I'm here for results. Let's do results. It's easy to forget that the greatest buildings in the world usually start with the biggest holes. And it's the recognition that we need to have a great foundation before we can do something grand and lasting. And when I explain that to them, I can get them to go to the next step. But I've never had one that once we get through it, they haven't said, wow, that was really important. What are your three values? I have one. We break it down really simply. It's 360 degree love. And it's interesting, all the other adjectives and adverbs that would go on that are byproducts of it. They're subsets of it. For example, I talk about the important to honor people, to love and to respect people, to hear people. And you look at all those and you say, well, yeah, those are nice values. Look, they're all a subset because when you really look in the eyes of 
those people that you're called to serve, and especially those that you're not called to serve, to look at humanity as being worthy to be loved and honored and respected. It changes the entire dynamic of your organization. It changes the entire dynamic of your deliverable. And that becomes a passion for us, not just to be the embodiment of love to others, but to do it in a way that hopefully we also can bring healing to so many people that are hurt. Because we find that hurting people hurt other people, but healed people can bring healing. And if we multiply in that direction, we don't just run great organizations or feel good about ourselves. We literally change the world one life at a time. And that is really our highest value, love. I love this idea that you can be selling your product, running your business, and you can do it in a way that has a really significant positive impact in the world. So I'd love to give you an opportunity. If you had a kind of parting message, and most of my audience are people who are looking to you know, learn how to market better, how to sell better, how to do all those things. And I think we've gone really deep into some of these ideas. Parting advice for that audience. Probably parting advice really is to walk through what we just did. You know, the idea of doing your own mission manifesto. Sometimes people think, oh, I should need to do this for an emerging company. We're just starting a project, so let's just do it. Every single day is a new day. Every single day is a new opportunity. And I will say that after my death experience, it was a grand awakening for me. And it was a spiritual awakening for me. And for me, recognizing that every day I get up, every breath I take, in the grand scheme of theme, I've come to the conclusion that I haven't earned it. I didn't deserve it. It's nothing that, oh, I've done something, so I've won the bonus points, so I get my next breath. That's not kind of how it works. But instead, the recognition for me is feeling like that breath is a gift. It's a gift from the divine. And it's not only a gift, but it is a statement that you are worthy, that you are loved more than you know. And that if you've been given that gift, it's not just a statement that you are loved and worthy, but it means that you have an opportunity to use that life, that breath as a gift to others. And when you get to a point where I think there's freedom that comes when you recognize that, you don't have to burn so much energy proving to yourself and the world that you're worthy to be loved, which consumes a lot of energy and robs us of being bold, of being able to take those steps to say, can I step into an awkward situation and make it better? Can I step into a difficult situation and make it better? Can I dream incredible dreams with the hope that they could be realized or recognize the very act of taking that step forward could lead me to an intersection of opportunity that I might have never known? When you free yourself from that, there's a breakthrough, a breakthrough in your life. And I think that the Mission Manifesto is a great exercise to do with yourself, with a friend, and to get to that point to realize you're more than just another life. You're a world changer. You just have to take that step and discover what that looks like. I love it. That is definitely the most powerful 
message we've had on this podcast so far. And I'm so grateful. And Bill, if people want to dig deeper and find out more, I know that you're active on LinkedIn and I love what you share there, but what's the best way for people to reach out or to find more about you? Well, really two ways. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm new to Instagram. So I'm on Instagram because of Clubhouse. But our agency, spiritmedia.com, is a great way to reach out to us. Everything that comes in eventually gets to me. So if you say, hey, I want to reach Bill at spiritmedia.com, boom, great way. Happy to serve, happy to help in any way I can. And the book is 7DRM, The Seven Disciplines of Relationship Marketing. We have a website, 7DRM.com with a link to Amazon. So if you want to buy the Audible, you want to learn more there, there's even a video that talks about my death experience. So it's just a way to get some background. If anybody has questions about that, or I can be a resource, those are great ways to get in touch with us. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. What a joy. So what did you think? Do you think the word love makes sense in this context? I really would like to hear from you. I'd like this to be a two-way street. And look, I am still learning how to do this as a host. Even though I've guided and coached many different hosts and many different people on camera over the years, it doesn't mean that it's easy for me. What do you think of Bill Dolan, of his ideas? Would you feel comfortable standing up in a presentation to your team, suggesting that you use the word love to frame your marketing messages? What do you think about the idea that serving, truly serving your customer will generate better customer lifetime value? All right, I'll see you next time. And if you have any questions, if you want to know more about me, find some of the free resources that I've published, find old episodes of the podcast, or even learn about my consulting work. Find me at madmotion.com. See you next time.